Episode 2, Liberty, the Declaration of Independence. Welcome to Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Linton. If you're a returning listener, I really appreciate that you made the decision to continue listening to this podcast. I would also like to thank those of you that have provided me with some great feedback already and some constructive criticism. If you are a first-time listener, I would encourage you to listen to Episode 1, the inaugural episode, to understand the reasons why I started this podcast. I also hope that you will all enjoy it enough that you will share it with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, you can do so through donations on the show's channel at Anchor. Any support is greatly appreciated and will help to get the message out and help to cure our nation of voter apathy and our elected representatives' apathy towards the Constitution and the oaths they swore to it. To contact the show, you can send an email to Larry at LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. That is LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. All one word, no punctuation. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the Declaration of Independence. And as we start this episode, I'd like to begin it with this premise. And I think we can all agree on it, that freedom is a natural part of the human condition. If you don't think that freedom is a natural part of the human condition, let me know. Tell me why. Shoot it to me in an email. But my faith, which tells me our Creator made us in His image, made us with this free will. We were made to be free and not suffer in bondage, whatever form that bondage takes. So we're going to discuss how the Declaration of Independence laid the foundation for our Republic's great experiment in self-governance. Self-governance by dissolving the bonds with an individual sovereign, the King of England, and setting up our form of government where authority is supposed to be vested in the citizen sovereign. Before we get too deeply into the Declaration, we need to define the word liberty. Words and their definitions are tremendously important to a dialogue so that the participants can understand what each other are saying. Hopefully, it will take a while before the woke crowd decides to go into a dictionary and change it because the word liberty triggers them, or some such nonsense like that. But I would like to hear from you in the audience what you think the word liberty means. What words come to your mind when you hear the word liberty? Not Limu the Emu and Doug, you know, from the Liberty Mutual Insurance commercial, please, but liberty. Do you link the word liberty to our country's founding in your mind? So let's get on to reading a few of the dictionary definitions for liberty. The first one is liberty. Freedom from an arbitrary or despotic government control. Another one is liberty, freedom from external or foreign rule, independence. And yet another one is liberty, freedom from control, interference, obligation, restriction, hampering conditions, etc. Can we agree that from the dictionary definitions that I just read that liberty is the same as freedom? Again, I believe that freedom or liberty is a natural part of our human condition, our desire to be free. Our Creator and Liberty are linked together in our Declaration of Independence. This is from the preamble to the Declaration. Quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our great republic, the United States of America, has from its very beginning a firm and strong foundation in liberty. If you have not read that document, I would encourage you to do so. Good Lord knows how many public schools are not 
putting it in their curriculum anymore. And if you have read it before, good on you. I would encourage you to read it again, though, just as a refresher. In addition to this document formally declaring our independence from England and its king, it stated many reasons why the colonists decided to sever their political relationship. The Declaration provided a list of grievances the 13 colonies had with the king that led them to declaring their independence. In fact, it listed 27 specific grievances, 27 specific whys. Today, we're going to explore some of those grievances from 1776. As we explore them, we're going to compare them to how our federal and state governments are governing today, nearly 245 years after this declaration was signed. When you compare the grievances from 1776 to what you see happening at all levels of government today, let us consider the following words from the Declaration of Independence. And I quote, Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So our right to alter or abolish government that is destructive to our liberty, to our safety, to our happiness, is embedded in our national DNA. Those are some bold words from our founding fathers, don't you think? They wrote them and sent them to the most powerful military force on the planet at the time. Our founding fathers recognized tyranny and our natural right to free ourselves from it. But do we today, the inheritors of liberty these patriots fought and died for, do we recognize tyranny in its many forms? I would argue a few of us don't. We also don't recognize the significance of those words and what they meant more than 200 years ago and how revolutionary, pardon the pun, it was to put those words into an official document basically committing treason to the crown, signing their names to it, and delivering it to the king. So let's start going down some of these grievances. The first one I would like to talk about is, and I quote, He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. The key part of that grievance I would like to call your attention to is the obstructed the administration of justice. Originally, this grievance was put in the Declaration because the King of England would not allow any courts in the colonies to exist that he himself did not establish. This left a few of the colonies without courts of law for a long period of time. In other words, only the administration of justice that the King allowed was to be permitted in the colonies. This, in my mind, is remarkably like the two tiers of justice we see happening today. Often, though, the predominant thinking about how there are two tiers of justice are the ones that concern wealth. That is a dangerous way to think about them because it is a distraction. It is a wealth envy distraction, talked about by the political class to distract you and I from the actual different tiers of justice. I believe the actual two separate tiers can be put into the camps of one set of rules and laws for politicians and the politically connected, versus the rules and laws for everybody else. There are plenty of rules for thee and not for me examples all over the country we could examine, especially lately in how the government officials, both elected and unelected, have dealt with this COVID-19 pandemic, where we see the political class, the new aristocracy, 
hold themselves to a much different standard than they insist, often through the force of law, the rest of us be held to. Heck, in fact, I think we could spend months just on the examples going around the country about these two different tiers of justice. Beauty salons and barbershops, restaurants, gyms, traveling, vacationing with family and friends, holiday gatherings. What do you think? Do you think there are two tiers of justice in our country today, just as I described them? Again, let me know if you agree or disagree. Send me an email. Are there any examples you can provide? What is happening where you live? Let's go on to another of the grievances listed in our declaration. And this one has been happening in our country for more than a hundred years now. And I quote, He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. What does that sound like to you? Maybe a hint is needed. There are 2.7 million employees in these multitude of new offices. Here's another hint. It is the largest employer in the United States of America today. Well, believe it or not, the largest employer in our country is the federal government. How about the eat out our substance part of the grievance? Well, our government is only able to function through the taxes they collect from each of us. That is our substance, our sweat equity, yours and mine. One of the reasons our founding fathers did not include an individual income tax in our Constitution is because they knew it would enable the growth of the federal government. Look into our country's history. When do you think the federal government started its massive growth? If you study history, it just happens to coincide with the passage of the 16th Amendment, paving the way for an income tax. So our founding fathers were surprisingly good at being able to see the future, don't you think? On to another grievance. And this one, I too believe, has been going on for decades. And I quote, He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution. So I want you to think United Nations there. And unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. That pretended legislation could be, let's say, maybe the Paris Climate Accords or the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, you know, that thing known as the Iran nuclear deal, or any of a number of trade deals that our government enacts or signs. In the United Nations, they got this little thing that they want everybody to sign. It's called the Small Arms Treaty, and it imposes restrictions on the sale and transfer of small arms and ammunition around the world. It would limit yours and my ability to purchase small arms and ammunition. Our Constitution was written to put restrictions on government, not the citizens. The Second Amendment to the Constitution specifically states that the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. How is a treaty like that even being considered by our elected representatives? Are they upholding, protecting, defending the Constitution when they ratify treaties like that? One of my favorite quotes about the Constitution comes from Patrick Henry. He said, and I quote, The Constitution is not a document for the government to restrain the people. It is an instrument for the people to restrain the government. Do you think the political class, this new aristocracy, the people we elected to protect our liberties, think of the Constitution this way? Or do they, and this applies to members of all political parties, 
suffer from apathy towards their fealty or their loyalty to our Constitution? I think we all know the answers to those questions. Both the Paris Climate Accords and the Iran nuclear deal, which are agreements that our government is obligating us, we the people, to, do not even have the semblance of legitimacy that a treaty has. Neither of those agreements are treaties, so they have not been submitted to the U.S. Senate for the required advice and consent role on treaties, bypassing completely the will of the people and the rights of the states. They are not negotiated as treaties for that reason alone. That's why they call them agreements, not treaties. They do that to bypass the will of we, the people. If you want to see how our elected representatives, this new aristocracy, view the people, go ahead and do this. Watch on television or the internet any public hearing in the House or Senate at the state or federal level. Watch how the people testifying at those hearings behave. Watch how they are treated. Observe how they are treated by the elected representatives and even their unelected staff members. Watch the demeanor of both groups. Which group demands the deferential treatment? Those testifying or those hearing the testimony? Who appears to be positioned in a place of authority? Go ahead, let me know what your observations are. And when you do that, let me know what conclusions you come to by those observations. So back to the grievance, and quote, He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution. How is the government, our elected officials, allowed to enter into these agreements and these treaties that do things like that? Well, we will discuss that in future episodes on how it is happening, why it is happening, and what is allowing it to happen. Before we move on, I'd like to share a message from one of the supporters of this podcast. Litton Leadership and Management Consulting is a veteran-owned and operated consulting company. We are based out of Sevierville, Tennessee, with a local, national, and global reach. At Linton Leadership and Management Consulting, we provide leadership, human performance, and management consulting and coaching to companies of any size on methods to improve the leadership culture in their organizations. Individual, one-on-one coaching and mentoring is available to individuals at all levels of the organization. Additionally, large and small group seminars can be conducted. In these seminars, information on leadership tactics and techniques is shared, best practices discussed, as well as team-building exercises are conducted, all of which serve to highlight methods on how to increase the team and individual's performance. Email the show to get the conversation started on exploring ways to improve your company's team performance or culture. A significant discount will be offered to any Sevier County, Tennessee business. On to another grievance, and I absolutely love this one, from the Declaration, quote, for imposing taxes on us without our consent. How many of you in the audience has ever contacted your state, local, or federal representatives and asked for a tax to be imposed on you? Honestly, I mean, you called them up or wrote them a letter and asked for a tax that you wanted to pay. I would argue that close to zero of you have ever done that. While there are many spending proposals in front of these legislative bodies that we may be an advocate for 
or may see a silver lining for, or how will it improve our streets, communities, highways, and whatnot, do you think the actual exact cost in the terms of our sweat equity, wages, or income, you know, that our substance part, is clearly explained to us? I have seen very few instances of our representatives explaining any spending bill in the terms of the cost to the taxpayer. How about you? I mean, we constantly hear about how much tax cuts cost the government. Tax cuts don't cost the government anything. But that's another story for another day. So if these costs were to be clearly explained to you, do you think you would still be an advocate of that project or that spending proposal? Especially if it resulted in your taxes being significantly increased? I don't know. Do you think those legislative bodies rely on our apathy to continue passing legislation that imposes new burdens on us? Well, I absolutely do. As I talked about in the inaugural episode, voter apathy will be the downfall of this great republic. It is getting quite apparent right now. Our government, the political class, this new aristocracy, are very adept at hiding the true cost of legislation from us, their constituents. Governments do not produce or sell anything that generates working capital. Any funds that the government uses or spends or appropriates must first come from us, the taxpayers. That is our substance. I got a great example of apathy. We're not paying attention to the amount of taxes collected by our government, and a simple item. Most of us see it or receive one of these every day. It's the receipt we get from the gas pump after we get done filling up our cars. Take a close look at it the next time you get one. Does it list the total amount in taxes you just paid for your gas? I don't think so. Does it list the many different taxes you just paid for your gas? Again, that's a big no. Now ask yourself why. Well, first of all, I think the reason why is because the receipt would end up being as long as a CVS receipt. It would take longer to print it out than it would take to pump your gas. But seriously, there are so many taxes on your gasoline that it must be hidden from us. We pay some of the following taxes on any fuel purchase. There's a federal excise tax. There's a a federal leaking underground storage tank fee. What in the heck is that? And why is there not insurance coverage for that? Does it happen often enough to generate a fee every time somebody pumps gas? I mean, think about it. How many times is gasoline put into cars every day all around this country? And if it is happening enough to generate a fee and insurance doesn't cover it, How come we're not hearing about it? I don't see anything about leaking storage tanks anywhere in the country. So that's just something to ponder about that part of the tax. There's also a state excise tax, a state environmental tax. Some even list a special tax. Don't you just love that term, special? I mean, what is special? I'm special. How come I'm not getting the tax? Don't forget those inspection fees. And that word fees... That's just another way to hide the word tax. And the list goes on and on and on. Of course, these taxes vary by state and by county and by locale as well. 
Some pay more in different parts of the country. Some pay less. But if you own a car, which, by the way, you pay taxes on when you purchased or leased it, you will pay many hidden taxes when you operate it and maintain it. I am here to tell you that there is nothing so well designed to take away our sweat equity, our substance, than the government we elect. And they do it because of our apathy. Imagine all the taxes you must first pay in order just to get to work to earn an income, which, by the way, is also taxed. Honest question here. Let me rephrase that because I don't like the phrase honest question. I mean, I'm not going to ask you a dishonest question. But does anybody here in the audience know of any activity that we humans participate in today that does not have a tax associated with it? Anything. I mean, besides just breathing oxygen. And by the looks of the Paris Climate Accords that I mentioned earlier, you and I, the American taxpayer, will pay more than any other country in the world just to have the privilege of breathing that oxygen. Oh, and we get to fight climate change, of course. So, breathe in that tax-free, for now, oxygen, and enjoy it. Remember, federal and state and local governments get the money they spend or appropriate by taking it away from us first. Governments don't produce a good, they don't sell a service, that generates any money. Our founding fathers went to war over taxation without representation. So I guess in order to avoid a rebellion now, our government, which provides the the cloak of representation, I guess, just hides these taxes in nearly every bit of legislation they pass. They will tell us that they are just representing our interests and advocating and passing those pieces of legislation that end up putting the taxpayer into bondage. Another great example of an appropriation bill that has passed to drain us of our sweat equity, passed to put us and many future generations of Americans into bondage, is the COVID bill that just recently passed the House and Senate. The $1.9 trillion spending bill. That's trillion with a T, not billion with a B or million with an M, but trillion with a T. Nearly $2 trillion which, by the way, will add nearly 8% to our nation's already astronomically high debt of $28 trillion. How many people do you think have read the entire bill? There are very few people. I mean, people that actually try to hold Congress accountable, which are too few in my opinion. But does anybody in the audience know just how much of that $1.9 trillion is being appropriated for COVID and COVID-related matters? So I'm going to give you a bit of homework here. Go ahead, find out just how much of that money is going to COVID-related matters. Find out how much of it is going elsewhere. Now in this bill, the individual economic relief for taxpayers will be in the form of a check in the amount of $1,400. Here's some simple math before you go digging into the homework assignment, though. $1.9 trillion. If you divide that amount by an estimated population of 331 million people in the U.S. today, the amount of economic relief that could be distributed to every man, woman, and child alive in the U.S. today would be a little more than $5,700. Now, since the stimulus or taxpayer relief part of the bill is only going to taxpayers, and there's only about 150 million taxpayers in the U.S. today, 
the amount of economic relief that could be graciously distributed to them would be a little bit shy of $12,600 or so. I'd like you to notice how I use the word distributed and not given. Words and their meanings matter. We are not given, graciously or otherwise, anything by the government that did not first come from us. So they're distributing our own money to us in the form of future debt. Talk about a self-licking ice cream cone. Oh, but keep in mind, if you made more than $75,000 as an individual or $150,000 as a couple in 2019, pre-pandemic, right? That stimulus will not graciously be going to you. You get none of it because apparently your income was too high. You paid too many taxes to get some of your own money back. Most people don't think of it that way. For that, we can give a big thank you to our public schools. Those are the same public schools that are funded by, you guessed it, the taxes we pay. We will definitely be talking about public schools more in the future. When we do, just realize that the proper term for public schools is government schools. So back to the COVID bill. Do you think your senators or your representative has read the entire bill? I don't think there is even one member of the U.S. House or Senate that has personally read the bill in its entirety. Why do you think that is? Again, they too are apathetic. They are apathetic to their responsibility, to their fealty, to their oaths to the Constitution of the United States of America, and to their individual constituents. They are definitely not apathetic to their re-election campaign, though. Read the bill. Find out where all the money goes. In fact, all of us should be reading any bill any level of government is considering. They count on us to not read them. They count on our apathy. No nation on earth can survive a debt load like this without taking drastic measures. Do you think your liberties will be impacted by the measures that will need to be taken? Do not be surprised if they are. If this bill, which from now on I'm going to call the Destruction of American Prosperity Act, which is passed by both houses and President Biden now is going to sign it into law, as we say in the Navy, stand by for heavy seas. We're going to have to wait and see what these drastic measures will be, but I want you to think what happened to Greece during the last decade. These drastic measures will come. As I mentioned in the inaugural episode about the boiling pot of water, our national debt is a huge contributor to that. We're that frog sitting in it right now. We're constantly adjusting our body temperature to acclimate to the rising temperature of the water. Are you feeling warm? Because this pot is almost boiling right now. The final grievance I would like to talk about is this. Quote, he has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. Well, the enemies and the frontiers are quite different today, but we do have our governments, state and federal, either implicitly or explicitly, exciting the fighting amongst the fellow citizens all across the country. While 2020 will mostly be known for the pandemic, 
One of the biggest footnotes in history should be the mostly peaceful protests that occurred all over our country for most of the year. Mostly peaceful as the political class and the media pundits describe it. I guess they only describe it that way because the damages to property, both public and private, was only a couple of billion dollars. I mean, the aristocracy right now is just quite used to dealing with hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars. What is a paltry two billion dollars? They're mostly peaceful. Oh, don't let me forget, though. Damage to federal buildings should not be considered domestic terrorism during the mostly peaceful protest because it mostly occurred at night, after working hours. So the risk to federal employees being killed or injured was at a minimum. Don't take my word for that either. That would be nominated Attorney General Merrick Garland's testimony to the Senate in a confirmation hearing. That is a great example of the new aristocracy's way of thinking. I guess it's also mostly peaceful because the dozens of lives lost weren't those of the politicians themselves or the talking heads in the media. Well, that is about all we have time for today. Rest assured, we will talk about the Declaration of Independence much more in the future, as well as the responsibility our founding fathers passed on to us to keep liberty secure in our country, for us and for all our future generations. So in recapping today's episode, we define the word liberty. We discussed parts of the Declaration of Independence. We talked about a few examples of how our state and federal government are committing those same grievances that stirred our founding fathers to declare their independence and start this great republic. As I close out this episode... I would like to share with you the final line in our Declaration of Independence. It is this, quote, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I would like for you all to research the lives of those 50-plus men that signed that document. See if they upheld their pledge. Are we today as committed to the concept of liberty that our founding fathers passed on to us in creating this constitutional republic? Would we pledge our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor to restore our republic? Or is most of the population too committed to doom-scrolling to care about the actions our elected officials are committing to put us into bondage? I would also like to leave you all with this from God's Word. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Liberty is a gift, a natural right provided by our Creator. Thank you all for listening. And I pray that you enjoy the rest of your week. Until next time, I'm Larry Linton, and this has been Liberty, Leadership, and Lies. Reveille, it's time to wake up.